0: Thank <laughs> you. Melbourne's diverse poetry scene.
1: Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey. Connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. Good morning and welcome to the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm talking to Kaz Maisel about her new book, Singing in Each Cell. Welcome, Kaz. Thank you so much, Di. I'm really delighted to
0: have been asked to talk about this new little chapbook uh, that's just appeared. Um, it's a Picaro Poets chapbook and it's by Ginandera Press.
1: Lovely. And so um, when we say a chapbook, it's, uh, it's, it's a very compact form and uh, 28 pages. And uh, so tell me, how did you decide to put this particular collection together?
0: Well, I had a lot of poems and I thought I had finished editing a manuscript and I really hadn't. Um, I showed it to several people and they said, it's not finished yet. And I thought, oh... And I was disheartened for a while. And then I thought, well, what happens if I take the little poems out because they somehow get lost in a manuscript of much bigger poems? So I did that and I thought they looked better together as a a small collection. I knew about the format from Gin and Era Press because I published a chapbook with them before. And you can only have 40 characters uh, of text In one line. uh, In one line. That's right. right. Yeah. So that I already had poems that did that. Quite a lot of poems that did that, and I picked the best of them and I put them in an order, and then I edited them again. I found I had a lot of editing to do, so that was a a, a technical challenge, and it was it was fun to get twenty four pages of text uh,
1: in this little chapbook. And uh, so, tell me a little bit about. Writing poems generally. I mean, you had your last collection in 2019 with Moorings, and now um, four years on. Um, Well, how how have you found the last four years for writing? We've been through COVID. How did that go for you? Well,
0: COVID, in one way, was not good for me, like many creative artists who thought they would do amazing stuff. Many of them did, but I was of the about half the people who didn't do much. But what I did do was resign my job, which was really, really uh, a good thing to do and has resulted in much more time to write and in much better poems, um, I think. So I'm very glad I did that. Um, and I have written more than I thought I had. <laughs> so, you know, having taken these four pages out, I still have a rather big manuscript to, to work on uh, now. Um but this, these poems have all been written since that uh, book, uh, Moorings, came out in two thousand and nineteen.
1: Yeah, well, um, I think it's interesting the the challenges everybody went through, and I think it did result in a lot of creative work. And you've got at least one poem in here that's. Uh, I've got one obvious COVID poem, <laughs> right, and maybe there are others that are less obvious. But anyway, shall we begin? There's a beautiful poem to your husband, Bob. Uh, Would you like to read that? Sure. Um, This is called Evening Song.
0: Because he never tires of dwindling light and bats, that river of particulates gliding downstream, because he greets the night like the return of his beloved, every star familiar, because he sees the way gum trees clasp the moon in loving fingers, yet leave it
1: floating free
0: it's fabulous oh thank you so much i have to say he likes it too <laughs> yeah
1: no that's a beautiful poem i mean he sees the way gum trees clasp the moon in loving fingers yet leave it floating free it's so amazing it's yeah. it's
0: it's easy to love someone who loves the natural world yes
1: yes of course yes So um, there's quite a lot of uh, personal, autobiographical, uh, relationship type things in, in the collection. And, um, and you've got, amazingly, people don't always write about arguments, you Yeah, know? I mean, very often people <laughs> are like, oh, well, everything's great. But, you know, so it's, it's a rare thing and you've got two poems about arguments.
0: I do, I do. Shall I read those? Yeah, read those, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> the first one's just called Argument. Head tip back, I stare at the ceiling rose through closed eyes. Far from shore in the briny element beyond tears. The youngest one steps in, softest creature with streaming eyes. Speaks and I dissolve, surprised by pity. And the other one is 14333. I wanted to call it argument 14333 repeater, but I can't find the repeater um, character in word anywhere. <laughs> It starts with an epigraph from Wallace Stevens. A man and a woman are one. A man and a woman and a blackbird are one. (laughs) Disengage, a wise man said, pertinently, since you'd never win hand-to-hand combat or any game of strategy. But how very hard it is to stay step back, to keep walking backward into shadow, your hand a red-hot claw.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a wonderful (laughs) twist at the end, you know. Your hand, a red hot claw. I mean, there's real, you know, so much self-control in that stepping back. Yes. Well, we're still together. (laughs) What can I say? (laughs) Multidimensional relationships.
0: Well, I think it would be, I mean, some people claim that they never argue, but I'm not Unfortunately, one of those <laughs> yeah. couples. <laughs> yeah,
1: and and it's how you play the game, isn't it? So, yes, yeah. it is. Yeah.
0: Very much so.
1: Yeah. Now, less uh, humorous, um, in fact, incredibly serious, uh, was something else that happened during COVID for you, wasn't it? Uh, you had breast cancer.
0: Yes, I discovered I had breast cancer in October 2021. Um And had surgery in December 2021. Um, So that was an interesting time because nobody knew whether you would get surgery or not. (laughs) Um, COVID kept getting uh, worse. Uh, People were operating out of different surgeries and hospitals. Um, But I was lucky enough to have surgery in December. So that was fine. Um, This is the only poem I wrote about uh, breast cancer and... Um, it's it is the m- one of the most serious poems in the book, but the book sort of has two halves, and I wanted to contextualise my own single experience by using other poems to say, well, you know, I might have had breast cancer, but other people are being killed in a war.
1: Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, would you like to read dress rehearsal? Yes.
0: Breast or la with we joke, as you pass me a baby. But what use is half a mnemonic, or a choice of one thing? And what could memory be without the body's response? I'll soon find out. My part in this is done. The scanners are in on it. The tailor's prepped. They're contriving to make an ingenious new suit, pieced together from remnants, spared flesh and spare, menaqua, menafarina, polymorphous dumplings stoutly stuffed and stitched. One day... I'll be grateful to wear it. But tonight, tonight I'm not ready for this mercy, for their gift of years perfecting craft and knowledge, for each individual steady candle flame to be brought as a matter of course to my darkened cosmos. Unworthy, I admire them. Yet I have to, we all have to, remind ourselves of our good fortune and the still not quite believable alternative. After all, nothing hurts. Removing those seeds of oblivion and the bed where they sprouted is truly one more instance of the inevitable shunted away. Let me gather myself for this brutal rehearsal.
1: Wow. Yeah, I mean, well well put. And, you know, the dress rehearsal as well with the fitting of the new suit, which is, uh, yeah, accommodating the... The new form yes. after the uh, excision, yes, of the yes. seeds of oblivion.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I went on a bit about the polymorphous dumpling for several lines, but I cut most of them. <laughs> right, yeah. No,
1: well, the polymorphous dumpling does come across, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, the other phrase that's used for a non-anatomical version is uh, chicken fillets. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, so, but uh, very, very cleverly, very beautifully done and this brutal rehearsal, um, you know, of the uh, inevitable end of things.
0: That's right, Mm. that's right. They're very clever in plastics.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah.
0: Yes, and so then I wanted to, I followed that with a poem about... um, uh, someone playing the trumpet rehearsing for Anzac Day, and then one about uh, Ukraine. Um,
1: yeah, well, we should read the one about Ukraine, uh, and uh, and uh, this references some part of your ancestry as well. Would you want to?
0: Oh yeah, yes. I mean, I as at the beginning it says you know. Um, all of my ancestors come from beyond the pale of settlement. That's you know Belarus, um, uh, Lithuania, all the places uh, where Ashkenazi Jews were and from which they were obliterated um, via pogrom, um, or they left, uh, they fled. So. Uh, I was exploring that and I discovered I couldn't explore very far because guess what? Uh, A lot of records are destroyed. Um, So it was just the question of what made me follow as though it mattered to me, the Ukraine war, and it does. Um, And obviously this is before October the 7th where I follow everything again um, in the terrible um, Israel-Hamas current
1: conflict... So um, there are a lot of wars to trek. There are a lot of wars Wars to to trek, but it is interesting how, you know, it's not just the news for a lot of people. You know, all sorts of things uh, are not just something you watch from a distance, like a, a God watching television, you know. It's uh, mm. it, it's something in which one may have a personal relationship to the news.
0: I'm really interested in the way the media shapes our responses to things and how we sometimes have to fight the media to, to have a more ethical response to things and that's really what this poem's about.
1: Yeah, and, and I think also the media likes to frame uh, the issues in a way that deletes most of the issues. So, you know, uh, I mean, and, you know, like issues like corruption and money and so on are never, almost never addressed. That's right. And, I mean, you know, who benefits from these wars? It's usually the arms industry. So, you know, I mean, how, how do these wars come about? They don't come about because um they have to come about it's because people lack the imagination to engage in peaceful processes and and there isn't the incentive to engage in peaceful processes
0: and yet peaceful processes of negotiation is always where they have to end up
1: that's right and why do we have to get there after a million people die or however many it is mm. each time it's uh it's very frustrating And, um, yeah, anyway, so uh, would you like to read Off the Face of the Earth?
0: Sure. Um, Off the Face of the Earth, I should say, uh, the title uh, originally came from... No, because I can't remember the journalist's name. There's an ABC journalist who said that Putin was trying to wipe Ukraine off the map. And I retitled it Off the Face of the Earth. Speaking of erasure, all our ancestors fled the Pale of Settlement. I scrutinised the map again, armed with footage to match the names of the towns and cities outside which we were allowed to dwell. I say we, although I've no feeling for the land, farms, houses, apartment blocks. This is not my homeland. Our ties were cut too long ago and too well. But it's that time of year when we insist once more that what was then is now. Then is now. The cities and towns are crumbling under bombardment. Bodies of women and children, mass graves of men, tumbled together or left. Each life is unrepeatable, we remind ourselves, steeled to witness horror because someone should. So we recall too fleetingly an old woman cursing a Russian soldier with sunflower seeds, a newly-fledged man in Ukrainian soldier's uniform smiling as he speaks of his fear, a dog wagging its white flag as it's left behind, a child who can't stop screaming, a wounded woman in labour being stretched out beside the cameras, her hand extended to cover her nakedness. We seek the personal because things resolve too quickly into abstract patterns, smashed rectangles, outlines of housing blocks from a drone's eye view, patterns that feel like chaos in the living of them, and the surprise and inevitability in the dying, history at the moment of becoming.
1: Now there's such a lot of different themes and moods and histories in this collection and I'm speaking to Carolyn Mazel about her new chapbook, Singing in Each Cell. Um, and there's an interesting one here, Slipperiness of Faces, uh, which also reflects on the difficulty of recapturing the presence of a person. Uh, would you like to say anything about this poem?
0: Um. Yes, I think it arises out of the fact that I've lived um, in Canada and the UK and when I lived in Canada and the UK, I was really homesick and I missed people here. And of course, now I live in Melbourne, Nam. I really miss people in Canada and the UK. Um, And I'm interested in the way that suppression of memory works and uh, the way um, presence is revealed in dream and how there's a real joy in, in encountering someone again or even encountering a place again it's like it's something that you never imagined that you could be lucky enough to do and so I wrote this poem about that slipperiness of faces which is what it's called great well let's let's hear it easy enough To assemble a face to order in the old troubadour way. Precise colour of eye, shape of nostril. But what law makes the whole face so elusive? It must be Yearding's counterforce. Memory was never a slave to command. The heart ignores the will as truth an imposter. Nothing can detract from the living face, that jolt of brightness surpassing all conjuring, You overflow the present moment, yes, and you last while my eye plays over you. Later, the recollection is refreshed with new detail, pallor under an eyebrow, time's scribble on the neck, but no art, nothing at all, substitutes for presence, the hundred little stabs of recognition, wounds of
1: joy. Yeah, there is nothing the same as presence, I think. Um, And there's an Indian and Sanskrit words, darshan, which technically means to see, but refers to sitting in the presence of a saint with an expectation that that presence will uplift you. So, that there is this energetic exchange. And uh, so, there is a very clear idea that being with a person is completely different to seeing a picture or talking on the phone or just remembering somebody. But being with someone is something unique and special.
0: That is exactly the kind of feeling I wanted to get. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, the reference to the old troubadour way, you know, troubadours. Uh, went around the south of France uh, writing poetry to order. So someone would say, can you write a poem for my lady? Uh, She has dark hair, she has blue eyes, she has white skin. And they go, oh, yeah, that's 93, uh, 59, uh, 27. And they would would write, uh, you know, poems to order. But the feeling of presence is more than a combination of items that you can assemble.
1: Yes, it's something special and and you always remember like the last time like if somebody dies when did i last see them then that last moment stays with you as a some kind of special recollection as well yes
0: i wonder i wonder if that's one of the reasons that cultures so many cultures place so much emphasis on the last moments of our lives
1: yeah well there are different buddhist ideas about that but mm. Um, but uh, in another way, it shows how special every encounter is because you never know which one will be the last one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's. Um... Anyway, you and I were both students of Judith Rodriguez. I was very yes. shocked when she died because I hadn't realized how sick she was. So, you know, all those last memories of her, last meetings with her, took on a lot of extra extra value.
0: Yes. That's that's right, and and she was definitely giving advice to be followed. <laughs> yes, yes, yes,
1: great, yeah. So
0: that's a a strong personality and a and a remembered presence that is still very very strong.
1: Yes, that's right. And as students of Judith Rodriguez, um, we both belong to a, a, a group.
0: Yes, yeah. uh, the, a writing group which has persisted. Um, <laughs> long after Judith's death in November
1: 2018. It's five years now, Mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah, Um, and uh, it's very helpful to be in a writing group, I find. Yes, With, with
0: upholding her sense of directness. And encouragement, both of those things.
1: And the thing that always astonished me, among other things, one of the things, was her ability to find something good in everything she was presented with. Yes. Where often I thought, Oh, not that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and just her sense of where what somebody was trying to do, where yes. they were going with something?
1: Yeah. Yeah, but like quite often, I'd look at something and I'd think, "Yeah, I've got nothing to say because you know." And she'd find something in it, you know, something, something special and something worthwhile. Mm. Okay. Now, there's a few poems that uh, talk about dreams in your collection, and um, I'm wondering about with Debbie dancing. What's that about?
0: Well, exactly that. It was a it's a, it's a dream. Um, my lovely cousin debbie um i lived overseas a lot of the time um and we would have to find a way to meet each other again every time she was in melbourne and we always did find a connection to be with each other it wasn't easy to take up where we left off our life experiences were very different i would sometimes remind her of things that she'd forgotten (laughs) Um, and this poem is about uh, dreaming about uh, being with her after her death. Um, with Debbie dancing. I had spent the whole dream looking after five-year-olds, wearing whatever they could scrounge to be in the play. The poor ones, sad and thin, leaned limply against me. I helped with their makeup. The show was for everyone. I jollied the kids along till they grew shouty and naughty, and I a little worn. Then I was 16, and with Debbie, dancing, quick and luminous, smiling, arms outstretched. We were in the play, but we were not. It was more like colorized film. Had I not seen our peasant skirts in family snaps? As I awoke, I felt her growing distance. 64 years old, a dozen years dead. In life, often oceans away, we'd fingertip test connection. In death, oceans often slip away and we're straight to the heart of things. It's very beautiful. Thank you. I think dreams can do that. They can give you that feeling of darshan
1: yeah, and, um, yeah. when it's not possible anymore in life. That's right. I often wonder about the status of dream beings because they can feel very real.
0: They certainly can and I certainly take quite seriously the... The tradition of dreams being like messages from another realm.
1: Yes, I think they can be messages, and if not actual encounters, potentially, yeah, it's a little bit unknown. Um, but uh, it's it, it's an interesting story that you're at a kind of a children's party, getting <laughs> playing dress ups, and and then you know suddenly you're you're. 16 years old and dancing with Debbie, so...
0: Yes, I think because one of the things that um, often dissipates energy in women's friendship is when they're both mothers and being totally distracted all the time. So I think that I suspect that children's play was a bit like that and just being completely distracted all the time and
1: then being children. Yes, and taken away from... Yeah. yeah, more adult friendships, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So now you had um a nice poem about lockdown in this collection which is called Lockdown Chrysalis. So what were your general impressions of lockdown? I welcomed it in a way. <laughs> I I was ready
0: to for, for a period of introspection and I had not had a chance to have one or not long enough for a long time. And so I was ready to leave my workplace and I was ready to go deeply inside myself and lockdown provided a kind of... Um, uh, it provided the opportunity for re- uh, self-reflection um, I was very tired. It could have been work. Um, I didn't know I had cancer at that point. Um, but it was certainly... It was it was welcome. I mean, it was dire. I was the kind of person who was glued to the press releases every day. Uh, I, I saw them as a kind of ritual since the Premier was prepared to talk to us every day. I was prepared to listen every day. I took it all very seriously, Um and I welcomed the inwardness that it offered.
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was um, great to be home. I was happy at home, and I took up painting, which I'm still doing. So fantastic! Yeah, you know, we all have our own lockdowns. So well, that, yes. was that was mine.
0: Well, this 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 poem is about the incursions, the the interruptions of having to teach from home. You know, I didn't mind going to work, but I didn't mind work coming into my home. Yeah, it was no fun.
1: No. So would you like to read Lockdown Christmas? Sure. At first,
0: there was no relenting, just young ones peering cautiously into my space and I into theirs. Whenever the double mirror went dark, I slept badly, slept again. How quickly lost the lashing rhythm of days, as if sleeping beside a newborn babe. I hungered for solitude, lived only in my body, heard singing in each cell, as though all my life I'd been preparing for just this. I know how to hide, wall out almost everything but sunrise settling its veil of cold over my face, a scent of damp leaves, the faint roar of the city. And I've learned again to trace that old path down the optic nerve towards sleep, past the remnants of the rattling pulse of day, Bach's sewing machine lacing the Milky Way into a cosmic braid, reaching the freedom of insomnia, familiar as a child's discovery of clarity.
1: Wonderful. Okay, well, um, I've been talking to... Carolyn Maisel about her new book from Picaro Poets Singing in Each Cell. Thank you for coming on the program.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, it's been great. My name is Di Cousins and you've been listening to the 3CR Spoken Word Programme.